This is William Del Pilar. If you found us, you found us on sportsgrumblings.com. Most of you know me as a fantasy sports pioneer. I help commercialize the industry, but some of you know me as a politician, as a conservative Latino, and this is fired up. And I'm pretty excited tonight. Uh, first of all, my cohort, Ms. Karen Roseberry. Karen, how are you tonight? Very well, thank you, William. It's good to be on tonight. Well, Karen, it's been a while since we chatted. We have a lot of topics we need to discuss, but one topic we have not discussed that I do want to talk about very in depth. I reached out to Craig, uh, and uh, he's, a, he's a very experienced individual in understanding guns and the Second Amendment. He's worked for quite a few companies, and we're going to talk a lot of guns, a SCOTUS decision, a couple of California bills, and he has insight on that. And first of all, I want to give Craig uh, an introduction. He's done a lot of work, whether it's Hollywood or whether it's in politics. It's a very fascinating individual. Craig Deleuze has more than 25 years in media, political activism, policy advocacy, and grassroots activism. He currently serves as president and CEO for 2A News Corporation, as well as spokesman and senior legislative advocate for Firearms Policy Coalition. Craig also hosts a number of shows focused on political and Second Amendment issues. They include FPC's Morning Coffee with Craig, Florida Carey's Gunshine State. Oh, I like that one. CRA TV for the California Republican Assembly and the Deleuze Brothers, where he and his twin brother David debate politics from the left and right. Most recently, he launched a daily news commentary program called The Rundown, which airs Monday through Friday on YouTube and Facebook. Craig. Uh, uh, that that introduction only lists part of who you are. Tell us a little bit about uh, uh, more of you, uh, a little bit more in depth if you can. Well, I'm gonna it pretty much cover it all. I've uh, been a lifelong Californian, uh, born in Richmond, California, grew up there, went to school at Chico, California State University, Chico, which was like my first experience with conservatism. Uh, and uh, let's just put it this way. I didn't make it out of uh, Chico as a, I, was, I grew up in a democratic household uh mother was democrat mother was democrat father was democrat all my brothers and sisters wow. were democrats but the interesting thing was uh they raised me based on conservative values and so when i started to experience life in the real world and i started to realize that the the values that the democratic party stood for didn't necessarily uh represent the values that i was raised with so I did. That's when I became a, not just a Republican, but I became a conservative uh, and actually started uh, working in the political arena probably about four or five years after that. Uh, I've worked both in the legislature uh, for uh, a couple of uh, different assemblymen uh, in the California legislature, uh, former state senator Tim Leslie, uh, uh, as well as uh, Kevin Jeffries. Uh, then uh, when I left the legislature after almost a decade, I went to work for the Firearms Policy Coalition, where I was not only their spokesman, but also their legislative advocate. And uh, to be honest, did not know a whole lot about gun law, except what I what I had read. But when I really started getting involved in it, I realized how quickly that uh, there were people who are in particular people who are anti-gun. Uh, who were writing legislation, who knew very little about firearms, knew very little about firearms policy, uh, and didn't really and, and didn't know anything about how they actually intersected, and quite frankly, didn't care to know, uh, because they didn't like guns and they didn't like people who like guns. Uh, and uh, I think we're that's a lot of what we're seeing now uh, uh, that is taking place in a lot of these a lot of things that we're going to be talking about today. So. Um, I have uh, I am I am not just a person who does this for a living, and I'm blessed to be uh, a true believer. I'm an activist uh, and an advocate, uh, and uh, anyway, so it's just it's a it's a blessing to be able to uh, to speak to these issues. Oh, and, and 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 we are very lucky to have you. But I got to tell you all a funny story. When I first saw Craig, uh, I saw this guy, and I was like, Oh God, there's Ken. You know, there was a beer commercial, and it showed this guy named Ken. And Ken, the women loved him. He was super nice. He was caring. He was thoughtful. And everybody at the, all the guys at the party hated care. And when I saw Craig, I was like, oh, God, here's look at this good looking guy, this beautiful wife. And he's nice. And he's well informed. And he's like, God, man, I hate this guy. And obviously, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you can't help but like somebody uh, 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 like Craig. I kept saying Ken because of commercial, but, but Craig. And again, we're lucky to have you on. Okay. Well, compliments we're will get you everywhere. <laughs> we're we're going to talk the Second Amendment here. Uh, we're going to kick it off with uh, 
revisiting the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. It's a much longer title. And for the average person, uh, the reason I want to come back and talk about this is I have read those, those briefs before and I have written on them. And it's some of the most difficult things for a non-lawyer to do. And somebody of your skill in the sense of understanding the Second Amendment and what happened, uh, can you explain to us uh, exactly what went down in that decision? Well, let me start by saying I, I am not a lawyer. And I did not sleep at a Holiday Inn Express <laughs> last night. Um, but I can tell you that uh, uh, it, there are not many lawyers who, who specialize in firearms law, let alone firearms constitutional. And I can tell you, it can be very, very difficult, um, especially uh, when you have what has been taking place. Before we get into the, to, to, to the New, York, New York pistol case, it's important we understand the role that Heller played in all this. So Heller and McDonald were decisions that took place and uh, Heller was in 2008 and McDonald was in uh, 2010, uh, which really codified in law the right to own or possess a firearm in your home for self-defense, right? Great. To have it readily available. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm terrible for interrupting, but that's because we have an audience. What do you mean by codified? Because a lot of people know oh, what that word means. Well, it, it, it's something that, and it's funny because a lot of people say, you know, they never, they, the, the, the Second Amendment was never, uh, was never ruled a, an individual right prior to, uh, prior to Heller. Well, the reason why it was never ruled was because, it, I mean, it the plain assumed. and simple language was, you know, is, you know, the right to keep and bear arms shall right. not be infringed. I don't understand how that is confusing to, to people who don't like the Second Amendment or to people who uh, on the left. I don't understand how that is confusing, but evidently somebody thought that that was confusing. So when I say codify, I mean there is a legal decision uh, from the highest court in the land that says, yes, you have a right to own or possess a firearm in your home. Now, and the Scalia took the lead on those, right? Yes, yeah, Scalia took the lead. So, yeah, took right. the lead in that, and and in, even in that, one of the things that he noted was was that you know you do that doesn't mean that they that you are that you cannot do or have a reasonable regulation. Uh, he now, unfortunately, talking about reasonable regulation and also the fact that it didn't mean that you could own just about anything. Now, the problem with that was was that to to people who understand understood the concept of you know a far a firearm is one of the things they talked about was safe and in common use right that was the restriction reasonable regulation well people in the people in the anti-gun community people who don't believe in the second amendment or don't really would rather it didn't exist decided they were going to take those two little things and they were going to run with them so when they talked about reasonable regulation they created this this test right the state interest, it was became an interest balancing thing, saying, well, if the government has a compelling interest, if there's a compelling state interest to do something, right? So first you have to decide, find out if there's a is if there's an interest, are they able to do something that's of great importance that says that they can violate your rights? And then they have to decide, okay, well, okay, so if they did that. Does it, you know, does it meet this balancing test? So it was a two-step test. Well, one of the things that was decided in this particular case was they said, you know what? There is, there is not to be a balancing test. That two-step process is one step too many. That's specifically what they said. And they, in essence, what they said was the only test is this, is you have to look at the plain language of the Second Amendment, specific, in this case, the Second Amendment, and look at what was going on historically at the time to see if you can put that law or what they were saying in context. And so what that has done, so what they what that did was it basically said, you know, no, now the burden is on the, the burden of proof is on the government that they did not violate your constitutional rights. They have to show that not only be. is there a right. direct nexus in this law, in whatever laws they put in place, but then they also have to show that that uh, uh, there was there was no other less intrusive way for them to go about meeting that state interest. But now, like I said, this, the burden of proof is on them, not on the individual gun owner. And here's why that's important. Prior to then, uh, prior to now, well, now uh, there was always this thing. It was called a, a, a level of scrutiny, right? 
they would take a look, they would take a look at these, they took a look at the laws and they would say, okay, there's, there's different ones. You have strict scrutiny, which basically says, I mean, which is what most constitutional rights get. If, you know, one, the read the language of read the language of the of the of the of the, uh, uh, the text of the constitution look at what was going on and then apply it and that's what usually like the first amendment gets right then there's what's then they created this thing called intermediate scrutiny which was where they would uh when they balance it it's kind of like well okay it's got to be compelling and you have to demonstrate that you know there's a need which yeah, is there's kind one of what that they use need, for, but right one that there's a need but also that you tried to find another way to do it without violating people's rights it, it's almost the same the standard way. that they use yeah. for uh ccws in la county is that would that be accurate no 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 that that, no? that, that that's a completely when you talk about good cause and we'll get into talking about good cause in a second okay that great who's making yeah. these these who okay so who's finalizing judges, saying, judges are making these decisions okay so so judges have just decided upon themselves to create right. this right and what in in essence what uh what the, what the supreme court has said yeah no you don't do that because the worst one was what was called basic uh Oh my God, I just, I can, I just like totally just flip right out of my head. Oh, rational basis. So rational basis, this is how insidious rational basis is. If government has any interest whatsoever, then that's good enough for them to violate your rights. Now, the the, the funny part about that is, is, is two things. Number one, even if, even if the, the defendant, even if the government doesn't come up with it, the judge can just make up a reason. If, in other words, if it, they can make up something that's not even argued in the case and say, well, the government has a compelling interest because of this, and there's no evidence to prove that it, you don't have, they don't have to prove that it even addresses it. All they have to do is just say it and boom, now all of a sudden, so you were seeing all of these very restrictive gun laws uh, being held up in very, very liberal courts because that's what the judges wanted to do. And in many cases, they were claiming that they were using intermediate scrutiny, but they were really using rational basis. Right. So those are so what you would call the, activist right. judges, right? Right. Yes. Those are activist judges. And so now all that's been thrown out. And so what you were talking about when you talk about good cause. So in the state of California, uh, as well, well, basically in seven in seven states, there was this requirement. In other words, they gave they gave law enforcement, local law enforcement, the discretion uh, to issue to issue concealed carry permits. Now, they, there were two things that they were supposed to look at. One is that you're a person of good character, which basically means, are you legally allowed to own or possess a firearm? Are you, right. you know, that, that, that's always been kind of the standard. Are you committing any crimes? Things along those, have you committed any crimes? Sure. Are but you then a the potential second, risk and danger to society? Yeah, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah, right. And then the second though one though was good cause, meaning you had to have a, a, a reason why, why you needed to be able to possess a firearm outside of your home. And what they're, what they're saying in this case is there's no reason for good cause. There's nothing, there's no constitutional support. I mean, we don't think about this. You don't have to give good cause why you should be able to go to church on Sunday. You don't yep. have to provide cause why, why you want to speak in the streets. Yeah. Right. Or why yep. soldiers can't be, uh, can't be uh, quartered in your home. Right. There's all sorts of other constitutional rights okay, that we guys. have that we don't have to give good cause for. So why are we holding out this right to have to show good cause? And for the audience, Craig just gave an example based off the Constitution. None of right. that has to happen for the rest of it. Why the Second Amendment? Right. right. Well, the, the the Second Amendment has always been kind of treated, treated I, I like to say, as the redheaded stepchild mm-hmm. of, of constitutional rights. I mean, it's it's a right, but it's not a right, right. And because so many people on one political side uh, choose not to. Uh, and yet it was so important. It was the second one that they right. happened to put down. So I, I think it was very much a right, right. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I love what Dave Chappelle said. Dave Chappelle said, look, the First Amendment is first for a reason. And the second is, well, it's second in case the first doesn't work out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so Craig, though, since this decision, uh, yeah. I, I was reading that the court vacated four appeals court's decisions uh, and enlisted Hawaii's restriction on carry guns for self-defense, California's 10-round magazine limit, 
uh, similar New Jersey law to New York, and Maryland's assault weapon ban. Now, to the average person, they read that and they don't see the connection because when they read the SCOTUS decision, they're told about the SCOTUS decision, they're talking about concealed carry and the right. Mm -hmm. So these seem a little disconnected. How, uh, uh, why did this happen? If you can explain okay. that. So I understand that they haven't been vacated. What the court has said is, look, these are all decisions that you're saying that, that could potentially be coming to us. They, okay. Because we've changed the standard as to how these laws are supposed to be looked at, because we've made it clear that you were using a wrong standard. These cases are all in the process. So rather than arguing them based on that old standard, you need to take okay. a look at them and you now need to decide them based on the standard that we have put forward. So rather than you sending it to us, us then having to rule on it and send it back to you, tell you what, how about you get your homework right before it comes to us? So this is a bit of behind the scenes work yes. in the sense of like, don't throw more work that's unnecessary on us. Okay, uh, th that makes perfect sense. Uh, if you, now there's going to be some people, I'm not, I'm not going to call anybody a gun, no, but there's that mentality out there too. Uh, some of these individuals may think they have car blocks now. Can you give us an example of where this, uh, this ruling doesn't apply and the state can still take well, the hammer, for example? One of the first things that I got was, well, if they, if they struck down the New York law, that must mean that I, I have a right to carry anytime, anywhere. Right. I'm like, once again, the process is still allowed to be regulated. What that means and what you're starting to see now in California, uh, the attorney general, uh, for Rob Bonta, has issued a thing to all sheriffs and police chiefs telling them that they can no longer require or have as a part of their application good cause. So what you're seeing now is, is you're going to see a number of, of, of counties uh, that, that require good cause. They're not going to ask you for that anymore. So they're having to revamp their process. Part of that, though, was yeah. him having to do some damage control because of the blowback that he got for releasing the registry of everyone that was carrying in the state. So, well, that, I mean, that, that was a, a complete violation of, of privacy yeah. rights. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's really a different. I mean, it, it's a it's a different issue. The reason why he yeah, the reason why he had to issue that was because basically uh, it, you don't have to be much of a lawyer to understand that basically what they said was no more good cause. True, you cannot but require I still think it was the timing anymore. for, yeah, right, right. right. Well, so speak, they've got to change their process. Speaking of that data breach, that is <laughs> next yeah. on tap. But uh, uh, so the California DOJ confirmed the data breach on 6-29-22 and they've launched an investigation. When I saw this, I was like, whoa, whoa, I'm on there. But then I read a little bit more a week later and it mentioned the article was talking about only CC individuals who apply for CCW. But Craig, if you can break us down, what was breached? Uh, exactly what should we be concerned about? And, and we can go from there. Well, keep in mind that all, first of all, all there was a lot of, first of all, I'm wondering what was the point of this dashboard that they were creating? So they were creating this tash, dashboard that I'm, I'm still not exactly sure who was supposed to have access to it. Uh, but what they did was, is they made basically all of the information, all the data on this dashboard available in particular for individuals, anybody who had applied for a concealed carry permit in the state of California. Now, here's the thing. So there was a lot of personal information that was available on there you know, name, address, social security number, criminal ID number. By the way, just so, just a little aside, when you are numbered or your, your permit, if you look at the ID number on there, that's called a criminal ID number. <laughs> kind of funny. I mean, <laughs> that's what you get when you commit crimes. And you also get it when you carry a oh, firearm, but you carry a gun. legally carry a firearm, but I digress. Um, but also the types of firearms that you own, the ones that you want to have on your permit, right? So the problem is, is that now people can get access to that information. Now, me personally, I'm like, I don't care if people know that I own guns because I figure anyone who's looking to do harm to me and my family, I'd rather them know I own guns so that they know that uh, that door, that front door, it's there it's for hard. their protection, not mine. <laughs> you, you know, that's a good point because I was thinking, I was like, okay, I don't like my info because when they first announced it, they, they just right. said a lot of people. I said, but if, if they're doing this to target that that's going to be a bigger backlash than, than stop Asian hate, you know, right. because at the end of the day, they're going to, you know, who's going to come to my house when I have five arms, you know? Uh, well, the, the thing that concerns me though, is, is this. So for example, you might have people and right now, there's a lot of, there's a big push uh, by, by uh, 
local DAs and 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 and, and gun anti-gun activists for uh, gun violence restraining orders to push gun violence restraining orders. So imagine if someone says, "Oh, well, you know, it goes around to your neighbors. Look, hey, you know, Craig has these so these firearms and this, that, and the other." And someone says, "Well, you know what? My neighbor Craig is, you know, he's one of those Trump Republicans, and you know, he's I've I've seen him post some some mean stuff online, and, and I happen to know that he owns this firearm and that firearm, uh, and they lie and they say he flashed it at me." Yeah, well, I expect that to happen. For and you. they have now as evidence, they know what I own because, because they've got, been able to get access to that because that information was made public. Um, there's a reason why these databases are supposed to be, why this information is supposed to be secret, why it's supposed to be private, uh, and it's not supposed to be available to the public. Uh, and uh, they have breached the trust. And by the way, just so you know, the, the state of California in particular, uh, the attorney general's office has always been horrible when it comes to it's kind of funny. We have Silicon Valley, you know, right down the street, yet and still we can't get a yeah, computer program to run right to for nothing. Save their life. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, Craig, was there any purpose to this leak? Most of us believe it was purposely leaked. Do you believe it was purposely leaked, or do you think it was a stupid, idiotic accident? I find it very hard to believe that it was an accident. I do. I, I'm not saying I have any proof or evidence, but I would not be because the other thing was it was only available for a short period of time, but I would not be surprised. And I, by the way, I'm not saying that I believe that Rob Bonta himself was, was behind it. Do I believe that there could have been somebody there in the department who made sure that uh, a good friend or someone they knew or an ally was ready and available, ready and waiting for that data to be made available so that they could, uh, so that they could grab it. I don't know, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. Well, if you just put it in context with, to a certain degree, the SCOTUS leak of, you know, the, you know, the, the political uh, story that picked up, you know, when the Roe versus Wade overturned, you know, the Dobbs decision, you know, that that was leaked as well. There is a tendency now to, I think, retaliate with decisions that are unfavorable by leaking information that can cause potential well, harm. Or you know, Craig, what about this process? I'm not a conspiracy theory and I'm with you. I'm a, I'm a conspiracy connoisseur. Yeah, there you go. There there you go. go. I, like, yeah, no, I like to hear a good conspiracy. <laughs> but that said, so what were leaked were Republicans and judges, I guess. But judges is what my eyes caught on. And then hearing you talk about that phone call, hey, I got a nut job here. Blah, 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 blah. There's a conservative judge. There's that phone call. I got a nut job. Not only do they get him removed from the bench, he's under investigation. He may be tainted for the rest of his career. So so that's why it's, it's like a conspiracy connoisseur. Is that possible? Yes or no? It is possible. Maybe it did. It, maybe it, it, is, it is definitely possible. Once again, I'm not saying that there's any evidence of it. Uh, I would, uh, though, very, very much like to see that see it investigated. Um, I don't know exactly what's going on right now in terms of I don't know if any organizations are actually uh, looking to file any sorts of lawsuits. The challenge with lawsuits is you got to you have to basically uh, find someone that was harmed. You have yeah. to find someone who's been harmed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you got to find someone who's harmed. Uh, and we still don't even know the full extent to what was leaked, what was made available, and who got it. Do you think this ha this will happen across the nation? You think other AGs will see nothing's likely to happen to Bonta, and they'll they'll do their own releasing? No, yeah, I, I, you know, I, honest, I I honestly don't I don't think so. Once again, I don't believe I I will tell you that I do not believe that this was Bonta who did it. I now could it have been someone in the department? Quite possibly. Um, but I don't believe it was. He, well, he's sorry. got too, he's got too much to lose. Yeah, that's to, what I meant. I mean, for, when I'm for, thinking that, I'm thinking the whole department. Go ahead. Yeah, but California always goes extreme on pretty much everything that happens. So mm -hmm. the the most extreme response is going to probably come out of California, but it's unlikely to see it mirrored or or duplicated in other states, just because th they don't typically follow the extremist response of California. Right. Now, they they may eventually catch up ten years later, but that that this wouldn't be one of those cases of of something to I think catch up on. This this was this was done as 
if, if it was deliberate, and I agree, we, we don't have any data that necessarily supports that, but it, it was probably that that knee-jerk response, and it was an extremist one, and it was probably the most extreme that you're going to see because this is California. Yeah, well, I, I guess I always wrongly assume the public understands. When I say the person's name, I'm talking about all the roots that go down in that department, yeah. and there's somebody else. It's a situation where they may not have known but they probably chuckled when they were told, you know? And, 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 and as you said, nobody is held to account. So this is going to, this is going to keep happening in whatever reason, whatever industry, whatever, whether it, it, it's a politician's uh, private speech with another foreign leader or something like this. This will not stop until we see a serious heavyweight in prison in some form or fashion. Another example uh, is like John Brennan, continually lying. You know, he gets away with it. If you work for Trump, they're going to use those same laws uh, to hammer you. So until our side decides to uh, put, draw a line in the sand, I think this is going to continue, and we're the ones who are going to suffer for it. You know, Karen, any final words uh, in regards to that? This is this is a California issue. I know you're really hard with the activism here. Oh, I'm I'm good. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I, I think we could uh, move into the AB uh, 1594. Uh, discussion. I think that that's actually probably more California specific than anything else that we have going on right now as it relates especially to gun law and responses and extremist responses. So if we're looking for a transition from the way that our state has responded to this SCOTUS decision that's going to be well outside of the mainstream of any other state, uh, AB 1594 definitely would, would be that. And for the audience, what AB 1594 does is it, it, it in essence, allows, uh, it clears a path within California state law for the public and attorney general's office to hold gun manufacturers and distributors responsible for their unlawful conduct. Craig, take it away. But if I'm hearing this correctly, in essence, what they were, an analogy would be, well, you can sue car manufacturers for a drunk driving incident. That's kind of like what I'm hearing, but in the gun side here. Am I looking at it properly? It, that's pretty much what they're now they're trying to say that if you once again if you violate once again if the law is broken now the challenge there's, there's a couple of multiple issues with this number one is and they're, they're comparing it to the texas abortion law well first of all uh understand that that uh there first of all they understand that there is a law specifically that prevents uh lawsuits against uh firearms retailers or against firearm manufacturers or people in the firearms industry uh if once again unless they in fact broke the law and so the idea though that someone would be able to sue somebody because here's the thing ultimately what the goal here is it's not about winning these lawsuits yeah. it's about burying these businesses in legal fees because yep. you've got the michael bloomberg's and you've got multi-millionaires and billionaires who are willing to put money into places like the Giffords Law Center, uh, where they will go after and they will sue companies who, by the way, didn't violate the law, and uh, they're going to be buried and they're going to be buried in legal fees. And their insurance companies, in many cases, are going to drop them uh, because they're not because they're going to have so many lawsuits against them. That's what this is about. It's a it's literally about making it so that individuals can enforce basically file frivolous lawsuits. Wow. Pretty much, yeah. But that said, they keep comparing it to the abortion law. When I look at it as a layman, I go, well, hold on. Abortion isn't in the Constitution, but guns are. So how can this law go, we're the same kind of law just for guns versus abortion? I mean, it seems like a disconnect. But but think about this. Think of, think about this, though. In, in, in literally within a couple of weeks or, uh, of each other, you have, the, you have some well, one group of people arguing that the right to keep and bear arms is not a constitutional right. And that's in the con <laughs> written specifically in the constitution. Exactly. Those are the same people who argue that, uh, who argue that uh, a, a woman has the right to, to take, to end the life of her child in the womb. Right. And that's nowhere in the constitution. Right. So I, I don't know exactly where they get where I don't know. I don't know what constitution they're reading. I don't know what simple text that they're reading. Uh, but they're just kind of making it up as they go along. Well, one thing that just I think should be noted on well, both of these that, that is important is, is that, first of all, that they're trying to end run this with this whole civil component to it right. uh, by, by making it much less 
the the government being the actor that's involved. I don't think it's going to work very well, but but I do find it a interesting approach where you have Texas basically saying that dads, grandparents can civilly go after those who may have ended the life of their child, grandchild, et cetera, in, in mm-hmm. a civil, you know, manner, uh, you know, because an actual life was taken. And the other component that goes along with this, though, is the personal responsibility. In the, the abortion case, the civil charges are actually following the individual culpable for the action that's involved. Whereas in the AB 1594 civil action, there is no causal, and there's not even a good correlative response to the gun manufacturers being the ones who are responsible for the action of a lost life. Uh, Now, again, where I think uh, what what Craig rightfully said is, is that if if the gun manufacturers have done something illegal, they can already be sued. But what's trying to be done here is to suggest that a loss of a life through a gun crime is somehow the responsibility of the manufacturer of that gun. And it completely removes the individual who pulled the trigger from the the, the equation. And and that's where there's a radical disconnect between these two bills, even if you look at them as as being civil bills over a loss of life. So so a question for both of you then. So that bodega incident that happened in New York, let's say that happened in California, where the the, the guy kind of took the gun and shot the guy after he was being attacked in the bodega, but the other guy didn't have a gun. Uh, Could the girlfriend have sued the gun manufacturer? Remember the bodega owner, uh, uh, the guy. Oh, the that guy was actually that was actually stab. He actually stabbed the guy to death. No, no, no. Did, oh, I thought he shot him. No, he stabbed him. <laughs> oh my! Well, let, okay. Let's take a criminal knife control. Knife control. Yeah, a criminal <laughs> robbing a store shoots an yeah. innocent person who's in the store. Could that right. innocent person? Is this law designed where that innocent person could shoot? Uh, I mean, sue the gun manufacturer? Could, uh, uh, I mean, it seems like that's what they're trying to do. Uh, Karen, if you could go first, then I'll create uh, give his answer. <laughs> I think that's what they're trying to do, but I don't think that even the law, even as it's written, uh, will, will give them good grounds for that. There really does at least have to be some illegal action that has taken place. Now, that illegal action, they may try to kind of jump over the person truly culpable and go after the manufacturer for that. But in the case of like a self-defense claim, I mean, that's not even a illegal action for going at what 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 they, what they really want to do is they want to say look you know we have you know a school shooting and you know somebody okay. you know right. ended up with an illegal gun you know that was involved in this and that's the 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 blame falls on the manufacturer because you know johnny you know 19 year old mental case you know ended up shooting up a classroom full of you know fourth graders and rather than that being you know johnny mental cases problem or or whoever gave him the the gun that where the actual line of responsibility rests they're going to transfer that over and make it the gun manufacturer's responsibility that someone ended up with a gun illegal well what they're going to do is and you'll notice this and that you've already seen some of it this year in california and you'll see more of it and there's going to be uh it's really going to be more about speech it's going to be about how are you advertising and marketing Uh, firearms and firearm accessories. Uh, If you are promoting them in such a way that, you know, well, this is going to, their their belief is they're going to quote unquote, encourage people to uh, buy a firearm because it will make you be more manly or more whatever. How you market your firearm. Right. Like the fifties. Okay. Got it. How you market it is now going to start to become an issue or a problem. And those are the laws that they're going to start to sue. uh, Once again, both retailers and manufacturers in terms of how they promote and market or if they promote and market at all uh, firearms. Uh, You're going to start to see a lot of these lawsuits because then what will happen is those will be state laws. uh, Those will be local laws. uh, And so those will supposedly fit underneath this new uh, this this new uh, this new uh, this new law state law, and once again open the door for them to be able to be sued simply for telling people that they have the product for sale. I think that that's a really good point because it, and it goes exactly with what we're seeing in terms of, of government right now. 
and again, I am not a conspiracy theorist either. I'm a connoisseur I like, but I mean, but the the way that we are seeing certain aspects mirroring things that we never would have thought from like 1984 and like George Orwell and just just what, what's coming out for whether it's thought police, whether it's information control, whether it is that that narrative manipulation. Again, I mean, it's it's truly disturbing that we've reached a level that would have been considered well, science fiction, you know, mm. at the time that Orwell was writing. And yet now we're seeing very similar aspects taking place in government as to the manipulation of information well, um, and, and the way yeah. that, you know, people are called certain things, the labels that they are, are given and just the, that emphasis on language. I would just say this, uh, it, go read, go read uh, uh, Rules for Radicals, Saul Linsky's Rule for Radicals, go and read the Communist Manifesto, oh, go and yeah. look into kind of the, the, the fundamental bases of social justice theory, critical race theory, queer theory, all of, I mean, all of this is based on postmodernism, which comes from basically Marxism. And it, it is a thought process. It is a, is a way of thinking. It is an ideology that, that was, that has permeated our top institutions and now is in all areas. It's in, it's in, uh, it's in education, it's in academia, it's in entertainment, it's now in corporate America. And it is amazing because it's like, it's literally, it's, it's, it is white is black and black is white, right is wrong and wrong is right. And it was something in, literally in the last 10 years, you can look and realize just how different things are now. I mean, think about it this way. We're considered extremists because we believe that a child in the womb has a right to live we're extremists because we believe that just because you're white you're not racist you know you're not racist or just because you're black doesn't mean that you're a victim that makes us extremists oh getting to keep the money you've earned that makes us extreme we're extremists you know it, it, it's funny because uh, with legal immigrants who have come right. here usually fleeing oppression, the dictatorship, socialism, communism. Uh, I was blessed. I was born a citizen, but I lived amongst my mom's Panamanian brethren as a Panamanian. So even as a kid, I knew I was different. I didn't know why, except that I am U.S. I knew right. that. And I just didn't know why we were different. But uh, we lived this. When I was in, in Panama, one of the final times before the invasion, I was with my family members, uh, kids my age, we're all drinking partiers, you know, at that age. And I'm just going off on Noriega. And then my cousin pulled me, not into an alleyway, but a, 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 a closed off space and just started grilling me because he was scared to death. He goes, they're not going to touch you, Mr. Citizen. But me and my sisters and all that, we could be gone tomorrow night because of what you're saying. That's how scared they were, you know? Mm -hmm. And then and, uh, in the military, uh, I don't know, Craig, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the term, the term roach coach. It's right off the pier or on the base yeah. somewhere. It's just a mobile truck of food. So I'm on right. the roach coach. So I'm talking Spanish, proud of my Panamanian. I'm in Panama talking to the guy after, uh, after a few minutes. And then the next couple of days, this guy's a low-level spy. Just the questions he was asking. So, I mean, I didn't know. I just went to my command. I said, hey, this guy's asking a lot of questions. I was on a, what they call a spook ship. It was a communication spy ship. So there were people always monitoring us coming in and out. And uh, sure enough, he was a spy. And, and my point is, is that stuff exists. And only in America do we think that, oh, that's excuse my French, but that shit doesn't happen here, is what you hear. And, and to see this happening in, in a way is terrible, but at least people are starting to open their eyes to what corruption within our government is. Well, not just in, not once again, though, not just in corruption, but in, in uh, you know, even, in, like I said, in academia, you, you have now, you have people who go to college campuses. They used to, in other countries and other places, remember, you guys remember, you ever heard about the brown shirts or the, the, the black shirts, right? They would go to institutions and when someone would speak out against the, the approved thoughts of the day, they would shout them down. Uh, and yeah. they would make it so that that person wasn't allowed to be able to speak and th that they were actually run off, run off of campus. We're seeing that happen now with Antifa and other college other, and college student groups. We're seeing that happen now. If you are not 
part of the liberal left-wing orthodoxy, if then then you are shut down. If you are considered, uh, you are you are shut down and considered hateful if you dare express anything. And probably one of the first places we started to see that was in the climate debate, right? right. Where if you didn't just accept the fact that. Uh, man-made climate change was a thing. And so therefore we need to hand over the control of the economy and to our means of production to the government so that we can protect the world from climate change. If you said anything against that, well, automatically you were shut out. If you were in, if you were in the scientific community, you didn't get a chance to, to, to even express or even share a, a vision uh, or a position that was inconsistent with that. And, and you know, you get that way, uh, because of communications. One thing I noticed in Panama, I was early 90s, I was young in the military visiting, and I just had the epiphany. I was watching the Panamanian uh, uh, news, and then it was like, it just hit me. I mean, I knew this, but it just validated it. He who controls communications controls the world, you know? And we're seeing it in this gun battle just with, the, with, with, with uh, 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 what's it called, 15, uh, uh, 1594. Yes. Uh, they've already come out in the press release talking about uh, 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 why they need this. The number of homicides in the state rose from 2019 to 2020, and nearly 90% of the increase was a result of a rise in homicides committed, committed with a firearm. So what the state is saying is it was the gun. What they're not saying is that, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Craig, what are they not talking about? The early what are they not talking about? Well, know, uh, understand this. Starting from the early 90s, for 20 years, we saw a, we saw a, year over year, we saw dramatic decreases in crime in general and violent crime. And that was because two things happened. Well, one thing happened. And that was because we got strict on, we basically got yes. no nonsense on, 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 on criminals. If you committed yep. crimes, in particular violent crimes, you were put away for a long time. Well, around the 2010s, uh, and it was really, but one of the biggest leaders in this movement was our current <laughs> vice president, uh, former Senator, but at the time, Attorney General Kamala General, Harris, yep started this whole concept of being smart on crime. So, which basically meant she, we're going to- Prince, I might add, because I mean, when she was yes. a DA of San Francisco, right. she actually adhered much more so to the, the tough on crime. Sorry to interrupt, but I mean- Well, just, yes, it, yes and no. She got a lot more convictions, but what she correct. did was she took people who should have been going to jail for dealing and just got them on possession. So they should have been going away for longer periods of time, correct, correct. but she got them to plead out. But anyway, so what but they started doing, right. yes, they started decriminalizing crime, taking things that were violent crimes and, and turning them into misdemeanors mm -hmm. and then taking people who were in jail, who were in state prison and moving them to county prison and the people who were in county prisons, letting them out on the streets. Then they started letting out. Now they say that they're nonviolent, but when you look at some of the offenses that people have committed, they're violent. They are violent offenders. Yeah. They're being released into the streets. So what we saw was we saw a decriminalization, decriminalization of crime that started in 2010 early 2010s and so from 2014 to 2015 and you started to see mm -hmm. steady increase in crime and violent crime as we basically decided yeah no we're not gonna we're not gonna enforce the law correct and then yeah. it just exploded with uh after the george floyd riots because then all of a sudden they're like nope we are not we're gonna get rid of bail we're not gonna hold people accountable anymore and then you started to see so what happens is this is you started to see the most violent crime are committed by the pretty much they know who the people are. They're they're it's largely the same they're groups. Gangbangers. Right. They are criminals. Gangbangers and guns. drug dealers. That's right, who it yeah, is. Exactly. Mostly gangbangers and drug dealers. And when you tell them that there's not going to be any consequences, like you had in the case in Chicago where you had a, a running gun battle in the middle of the streets yeah. and the prosecutor would not prosecute because they oh well they were both they were both engaged combatants. Yeah. What? No prosecutable. Exactly. Right. Here in Sacramento, here in Sacramento alone, we saw back to back shootings that took place. We had one case where an individual was uh, was released from jail for uh, he was he was arrested for assaulting a California highway patrolman. Right. Yeah. He was re released from Merced County from Merced County. And. Uh, instead of them calling ICE because he was here illegally, instead of them calling immigration, California being a sanctuary state, uh, they didn't, right? Within two weeks, 
he uh, he killed both of his children and uh, during a supervised visit at a church. So he killed a church volunteer and both of his children. Now, if we had been enforcing the law, that guy would have been in ICE custody and not killing his children. And right. then a couple of months later, we saw we saw where there was a shootout in Sacramento. Uh, six people died. Total of sixteen people got shot. The yep. guy, one of the guys who was involved in that, yeah, he had uh, been, yeah. he was arrested ten years. He was arrested and sentenced to ten years in two in two thousand and eight. Sentenced to ten years, and they let him out four years into his sentence. So. Once again, now they won't tell you about that. They won't tell you that the reason why we're seeing an increase in violent crime is because we're seeing an increase in violent criminals being allowed out on our streets. But they won't you know, talk and, about that. Yeah, I, I, what you're talking is reality, but reality bleeds into politics because these, it's the, the politicians that are doing this. And it just bothers me that you, us three know. Ron Nearing says something great in A Course I Tech. He pointed up his finger and said, you see the tip of your finger? You are part of that tip. Everybody else is oblivious to what's happening. And it brings me back to communications and, and just the fact that I see we are in the state of California, so the California Republican Party, but as a whole, the Republican Party, it seems like we get our tail kicked with the messaging that we are at this point in our country's uh, ethics and morals because the Republican Party hasn't been there to champion the values of the people it's supposed to represent. Craig, am I wrong in believing that? And if I'm not, or even if I'm half right, obviously we change it by messaging, but what's the process to get to that? Because we seem to have a hardened party of establishment people who just don't seem, they spew it, but they don't actually back it up for us. The, the challenge that we that we have is is that we've basically been retreating and circling the wagons, retreating and circling the wagons. What we do is 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 instead of engaging politics is is like war. War is about taking ground. We don't try to take ground. We don't go places where we're not where we don't believe or feel that we're welcome. And a lot of that I blame on the consultant class uh, within our party because they mostly just know how to talk to the base, and so. The only elections they ever really win are Republican on Republican right. campaigns. They, they, but, they don't seek out to inform and educate the electorate because that is too difficult a task, it seems, well, for them. You have to go see. It, there's a, a saying that you have a, a friend of mine who does who does training. He's like, look, if you want to sell what Judy buys, you have to see what Judy wants through Judy's eyes. Mm -hmm. Right. In other words, the point behind that is is you've got to get to know the communities that are, that are being affected by this violence. You have to spend time in there. You have to come to understand and get to know because people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. You care if you yeah. never okay. show up, and that's the problem is, and then when we do show up, we want to tell you know, we want to tell people in Oakland and in San Francisco, well, look, if you're a good American, this is what you would do. Instead of going and listening, spending time listening or how about this how about listening to the people within the party who have been working with you and trying to get you to do this stuff for decades and i will just say i still remember i want to say it was 2020 i remember sitting in a meeting uh it was a meeting of delegates to the republic to the california republican party and i'm watching jim brulte go over all these numbers of the demographics of california and how they've changed and this that, and the other and i remember uh 20 years prior to that I we we went to Republican Party leadership and told them, look, this is a way in which to build relationships in these communities that will address the Democrat. I mean, the things that they said had happened, we told them 20 years earlier were going to happen. Yeah. But the problem was we weren't a part of the consultant class and because we weren't part of the consultant class. They didn't feel the need you weren't to, really listen to. to us. Right. You know, yeah. it's it, it, I tell people the reason Barack Obama and Donald Trump were, were became president was because they had the people's uh, the people behind them and I and people and people get ten zillion reasons and I said let me tell you something as a Latino coming from a third world country seeing two dictators what Americans who backed those two saw they saw a fighter period right. they saw somebody who was gonna fight for what they believed in whether whether they did or not because I thought Obama said a lot and did nothing but they believed I said one reason people said why do you why do you loathe Obama. I said, because Obama is so good at promising hope and never oh, yeah. delivering. And oh, that's yeah. what the people want. 
They want hope. So when they see a fighter, you may as well throw Trump and Obama in the Coliseum because that's how these people envision them. That right. was their champion. And it seems like, at least in California, we don't get those champions. You know, We get the intellectual. We get the establishment. What's frustrating to me is, is there's a district. I don't care if that district is brown, black, white. The district should choose who represents them. Instead, the Republican Party will get the biggest donor from that district. Now, I'm very simplifying it and go, hey, you're our guy, you know, when they should be working with the grant, not the grassroots who are involved in politics, but the community, you know, whether it's the YMCA, where it says reach out, as you right. said, get them on the committee, find out who they want. Find new champions because honestly, that's what the Democrats do. The last time the Central Committee races happened, I went down the register. I ran into a 70 plus year old lady, a Republican running for Central Committee. There were eight kids there. I started talking to them. Those eight kids were running for the Democrat Central Committee. Me, 50 plus, and a 70 plus were running for Central Committee and Republican Party. It's because they go out. They recruit, they get their leaders to be role models for them. I just don't see us doing anything of that. And, and I guess I'm asking you guys, tell me where I'm wrong, because I'd love to well, be wrong. In I, I will say that I think that you're wrong to a small degree. I think that they actually do do that. But where I, I will draw the distinction is, is that I don't necessarily think that they're getting the highest quality or caliber individuals. I mean, there's, if, if, you, if you go to the CAGOP convention, you're going to see a decent number of young people that, you know, are the up and comers that, you know, want, you know, to, you know, be the movers and shakers. I just, first of all, I don't think we're doing a, a, a good job of really teaching them Republican platform principles. I think that they've been watered down. I think that they are much more of a I don't even know if I, I know exactly how to describe it, but I don't believe that they are are passionate about the principles, about the policies that are there. It, it is much more a, just a talking point, a springboard for them. So I think that there is a would-be bench, but I don't think that the would-be bench is nearly as passionate, nearly as, as deep in terms of the belief system that they have for whether it's the party or the platform, as you're going to see those seven or eight kids that you found who would pretty much, you know, jump on a hand grenade for their platform, for, for their values and what, what they believe in. Um, so I, I think that there's a, a different level of intensity between the benches um, that are out there. Uh, Craig, before I go to you, one comment on that at the benches, if you're talking about up and coming politicians, uh, yeah, we've seen a lot of errors in that way. But again, Anybody who's done a startup, anybody who was in the military and corporate business that spends 80% of their time training them, that's why they don't like to fire people, uh, contrary to what public opinion thinks, you train people. The Republican Party is an organization. One of the first things I realized is y'all don't really train your politicians once, once they win that primary in terms uh, uh, of the nuance. And, and the great example of the Mark Ang brought up is uh, Aiken, Todd Aiken out of Missouri or Mississippi, I can't remember which state, running for Senate. And he mentioned something about rape not being so bad or something to that extent. And they pounce on it. He was trash in a very winnable race. So I think we lack a lot of training. Now, how does that get created? Well, everybody goes to the person complaining. Well, what's, what's your answer? Well, I don't have all the answers, but they're supposed to have answers because they're the ones in those positions. Uh, uh, Craig, your thoughts uh, on my comments there. I'm not trying to get into a negativity mm -hmm. here as much as I want to be well, no, you know, not, I, What do we do? I, I think we need to get away from the idea. First of all, the big, one of the biggest challenges we have is it's hard for Republicans to raise money in a place like California, in California. Um, it, as a, the challenge, quite frankly, for California, is, it is should people, be, but yeah. yeah, people think that people think that corporate corporations give money to Republicans. No, they give money to whoever's in power. And in California, that's the Democrats. No, so you've already got you got the trial lawyers, you've got the labor unions, which are the big, the big, the big don donors. Uh, and then you've got literally most a lot of Republicans who are running. They're self-funding their campaigns. And so. Right. The party generally tends to go with people who can self-fund because that's money they don't have to raise instead of, and I think by the way, that's very short-sighted. 
Uh, because ultimately what you want is you want people who are going to be good, people who are going to not, who aren't just thinking about how can I campaign and be a good campaigner, but what am I going to do once I, once I get in a position, when I'm, once I'm governing, we need leadership in the legislature that's not just thinking about, okay, I got to worry about my seat, but what they need to be doing is they need to be looking at the district to the north, the south, the east, and the west of them. And if they're not represented by a Republican, then they need to be working to build relationships with people in that district. I, I for one, when I support a legislative candidate, it's because they're, gonna, they're telling me how they're going to become the majority. They're telling me what they're willing to do because part of their job has to be to become part of the majority. And I, people are like, well, why do you, why does that matter? So because <laughs> ultimately, if you're not the majority, you're not making any laws. Correct. You're not, you're not governing. You're not in a position where you control your control governance. So you have to start thinking about how do we grow our numbers? So right now we can't even operate right. effective defense. We don't even have a, a super minority or, you know, a, a block to the super majority. Right. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that, by the way, is not going to change. I mean, one only needs to look at the number of the laws that have passed. I mean, we, I do believe California is a center left state, but I believe it's center left, not far left. Correct. Um, right. But the challenge is, is that we as Republicans haven't even been on the field uh, exactly. to, the degree, to the degree that we need to be. Uh, we, have a, we have an opportunity now uh, to improve our numbers. And we right. need to do that. And by the way, and I just be real with you, part of that is moderates, us moderates and us conservatives, we got to find a way to of get along. Unifying. Yeah. We, gotta, we I'm not saying we have to agree on everything, but we ha it has to, we have to be okay we can't with eat our the own. things we disagree on and right. stop treating each other like the enemy. Here's the thing. How about this? How about we come to the majority and then we argue over who's gonna who's gonna be the leadership? I would rather that. <laughs> Look, no, I, I agree. I debate agree. and I'd, I'd rather us be fighting from a position of strength than uh, the position exactly. of weakness where we when are. When we right eat now. our own, it does not help anything right. that we're trying to accomplish. There's too few of us as it is to knock people out of the group rather yeah. than be inclusive and bring people in. You, you know, I agree, but here's my final take on this before I ask the last questions. And Karen knows I say this all the time. Uh, we are a Latino heavy state, period. There's no debate. You know, I always sit there. I keep telling Karen and then she kind of cringes. There's a lot of brown gold in them California hills. As a Latino, that's how I see it because we are conservative at our core. But you don't, but these politicians don't come into our districts and nope. especially with first generation immigrants who can vote you tell them so you preach some of these beliefs they think their democrat representatives are like them and they're not so no. i really think communications is a minimum of 50 percent of this battle and we're not as you're saying Craig, we're not even on the on the battlefield i always tell people we can't choose the battlefield politically uh because we let the democrats do that but we're not even showing up. We got to show up to the battlefield. And when somebody tells me, I don't see anything but an American. And I'm like, well, there's all kinds of Americans. And that's why Democrats have taken advantage. They've separated us into this American, and that American, and that American. And you ignored it. And when you don't have a second voice to help you go, well, what's the other side saying? They're going to flock to the leftist side. Yep. Uh, final question. Uh, uh, to Karen and, and, and Craig here. Uh, Karen, if you can start it off. In your opinion, I always ask this question, it's as simple as it is, I think it's important. Why do Democrats want to take our guns? What is the reasoning here? Karen. Well, okay, Democrats actually don't want to take our guns. Uh, if you actually look at the, the number of registered gun owners, there are quite a few registered gun owners, like I said, that, that are Democrats. Now, why do politicians such as the Newsom, why you know, do, the elitists want to see that happen. Well, there's probably a couple of reasons, but I mean, the, I, I don't think that it's beyond the, the scope of, of reality that a disarmed electorate, a disarmed populace certainly gives government and politicians an advantage beyond the fact that they they know that they can't just walk all over you know right now if, if the electorate is actually armed there is in theory at least a check and i think that they know that there is at least some small degree of a check uh, i think that they you know try to use it as a talking point of division 
I think that every time that there is a mass shooting, that that becomes this reason for why there shouldn't be guns and why we need to entrust our public safety to government. And they have done such a pathetically poor job as it is, but they are trying to use it to grow power in one of those two ways, either by disarming or by growing the power and saying only we are the protectors. And when the average citizen has guns, then this is the, the problem that ensues, even though we know there are tons and tons of cases where average Joe citizen with a gun has actually you know, come to a rescue. And, and we do see those stories occasionally, and we need to see more of those stories come through. Craig? Um, I, I would agree. I think that in most cases, uh, their Democrats, I, for the most part, don't want to take our guns. The, the biggest challenge is, is that in many cases, uh, you have people who, in many cases, you have people who mean well, but they, once again, they're being told that the gun is the problem. And so they believe the best way in which to address it is to take away the gun. And, and they're being intellectually dishonest, or at least intellectually clarified. They're being intellectually lazy. There are some who are being actually intellectually dishonest. Like I said earlier, they don't know guns. They don't understand firearms. They don't understand firearms technology. They don't understand firearms law. And they have no idea how they all intersect. Uh, they've been, they've been, they bought into this concept of fear. And once your feelings are involved and engaged in it, then, well, facts don't really matter. You believe whatever facts feed that fear. Um, so a big part of it is just it's a, it's a real lack of, 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 of information. But I do believe that there are those bad actors who are interested in a disarmed society and a disarmed uh, people because, you know, for as, as a friend of mine who is, uh, who is he, he's uh, uh, Jewish, he says, look, people who are armed don't get in boxcars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, said. well said. And, yeah. and that's the point is, is that one of the first things that a, that a, that a tyrant wants to do uh, is to disarm the citizenry, because then uh, the, the Second Amendment is the it's it's the 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 right that protects all others. And right. uh, once you no longer have a right to be able to defend yourself from enemies, foreign and domestic, up to and including a tyrannical government, then they are in a position to take away all of your other rights. Right. That, that, that's how I view it. Coming from Panama, seeing two dictators. is And, and you're right. I'm going to do a slight pushback because when you look at those voting rolls in Congress, it's mostly Democrat. But I understand what you're saying, because one thing we didn't mention, but it is true, uh, Craig, if you can confirm, is that gun rights tend to be single, uh, what's the term, single uh, item, single action voters, single, single, single issue, yeah. single yeah. issue voters. And uh, so, so like people don't realize Bernie Sanders voted for a lot of gun laws because he's he comes from a uh, pro two a uh, uh, state. So, so I do get that, but it just mm. seems like it's mostly Democrats tagging uh, uh, yes on those bills, you know. Oh no, no, you're you're one hundred percent, you're one hundred percent correct. But like I said, among those Democrats, there are some people who really think they're doing something good, oh, yeah. and then you've got some some people who are just towing the party line, and then you've got some people who literally are attempting to and their goal is a disarmed society so it's not just one group and by the way none of those folks are are in a position where they i believe that they are uh, uh that they should be making decisions on gun laws because in many cases they are completely and utterly ignorant of the yeah. law in yeah. fact many of these cases many of the issues that i have with a lot of these judges that are making decisions on these they don't even understand the technology that they're dealing with or talking or that they're that they're dealing with so it's very difficult for them. I still remember when the, the magazine ban case was going through, I'm like asking myself, why is no one asking? Because you have this, you have this at assistant attorney general who's talking about how easy it is to modify a magazine that you already own. How about you ask him, go through the process. What does that look like? Yeah. Right? Right. How effective yeah. are those, are those magazines now? How, you know, how dangerous are they now? How easily can they be modified? I mean, nothing was asked on any of that yeah yeah and it, it's, it's honestly the same anytime you start dealing with with science and technology whether it's about life issues whether it's about gun issues whether it's about health issues you know all of a sudden you have people making laws that are not experts in these areas you know whatsoever and, and i think on the gun issue you just have a complete disconnect with personal responsibility and we you know in terms of of the democrats you know i again i i agree that you know it might be the democrat politicians that are voting for that but 
most of that just, I think, stems back to a attempt to have a government control state rather than individuals who are capable of making rational, reasonable decisions, uh, you know, for, for themselves and, and being able to operate um, as, as individuals, not just uh, operatives or, or, or actors uh, that are controlled by the state. And there you have it. All right, everybody, you've been listening to Fired Up Podcast. I want to thank my guest, Craig. Craig, if you can sit there and tell people where they can find your work at, uh, we will be truly grateful to that. And we'll go ahead and make sure at least one of your social handles so they can, they can find you on social media is listed below. Sure. You can find me on Facebook uh, at Craig Deleuze, or uh, you can find me at the California Republican Assembly or CRAGOP.org is the website. Uh, also on YouTube and Facebook. If you look for us on uh, YouTube and Facebook, look for The Rundown, 2A News and Conservative Views. Uh, that's where you find me. You can just find me on Twitter at Craig Deleuze. Thank you. And uh, for, for the folks out there, I do listen to the rundown. Uh, you know, it, it, Craig has a cohort from New York, the East Coast. I always He always makes sure to remind us of that. I see. Yeah, he's from Florida. Oh, go figure. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, y'all can find the podcast tomorrow sometime. Uh, we're going to upload it to sportsgrumblings.com or rumble.com under our channel, Sports Grumblings. Uh, we hope you listen to it. We hope you can share uh, Craig, it, it, to me, he's a preeminent authority on gun rights in California, if not the nation. And again, we thank you. And Karen, Craig, good night and good night, America. Good night. Good Craig, night. a pleasure. <laughs>